Welcome to The Great Unknown, global cultural explorations. We venture into the unknown for us and discover treasures that we can bring back to share with you. Welcome to The Great Unknown with me, James Harris. And I'm Wolf O'Neill. Yes, you are. Uh, We're here because we would like to find out more about the world. We'd like to challenge ourselves to expand our horizons and share our discoveries with you. That's what we're doing today. So we're not asking where places are anymore. We're asking what's the world all about and how does it work? This is the map of the great unknown. And we're going to fill in some unexplored areas, particularly France today. Why why are we here today, James? We are here because we've just wrapped up season one. We had the contact sports episode uh, just come out a week or so ago. And we've been looking at planning for season two. And we'd like to announce a little change in our format and structures. So... What we're going to be doing from here on in is we're going to have three different strands. So we've got a full season two plan for you. And what we've been doing so far, they're going to be called our in-depth episodes. Now we did do one bonus episode and we're going to call those in time. So it gives us a chance to react to things in the moment and see what happens. Like we might look at the Oscars winners perhaps when that comes out. Um, Things like that that we can just have a little chat about. Um, And then we're going to do also in brief where we maybe we is, just, it, is this where we uh we do like a daily talk show but we're just in our briefs exactly yeah yeah yeah. like gary lineker presenting match of the day so yeah uh, basically i mean i'm sitting here in my boxes right now because i am in a uh hut in france and there's a wood fire and it is cooking in here despite it being freezing outside so i am in my briefs roasting some chestnuts eh Aha. chestnuts roasting on an open fire it's lovely um, so yeah we're going to be doing uh, in depth in time and in brief and those are our three different strands so we are working on a full proper season two of in-depth episodes it's what we've been doing so far we look at particular topics and explore them in cinema in poetry philosophy everything uh, whatever it is music we explore everything just we want to learn more about things but also we found that we just keep coming across so many interesting things that we can't always put in. So we wanted to have a little bit more flexibility to be able to react to things, chat about things that come up, and also just to release some short-form content as well. Because why not? We're on a podcast. We're unlimited. We can do two minutes or we can do two hours if we want. Don't worry, this isn't going to be two hours. This is a this is a shorter one. So today this is an in time because I am doing a special mini-series on northern France and in particular the refugee situation in northern France. Uh, why did you pick northern France of everywhere in the world? So I am here with, um, in France they call them associations, not charities. C'est l'association. Excellent pronunciation. Thank you. My French is, my, I've actually been conversing in French an awful lot. I've only been here a week. And uh, because I'm in a place which is pretty much francophone, like everybody speaks French. I've actually, like, even with my three years of school-level French, I'm actually doing all right. I'm quite pleased. Um, so you haven't, you haven't studied French since school? Uh, no, no, not at all. I mean, I've, I've uh, met a few French people on my travels and tried to learn a little bit here and there. But, um, yeah, this is the first time I've had to really use it in order to be able to have conversations. Because there's a lot of people here, and a lot of the time I, I literally cannot speak English. So I'm having to use French, which is fantastic, actually. But also, to be fair, where I am, there's like a mix of Kurdish, French, Farsi, uh, and and English. So it's it's all sorts of mix. But um, but definitely the the people who are working the associations here, 
they're mainly speaking French. So yeah, that's quite important to understand. Okay, so why are you there, James? What are you up to? So Northern France, I so I'm here working with an association called Maison Sesame, Sesame House, and I wanted to do a little series about the whole situation here because it was something that I had no idea about maybe uh, even a couple of years ago and a few things have completely opened my eyes and my mind to, to things that are happening here that I just had no idea about and it's so close to where I live in London I think you know if I wanted to go home I could be home in like three hours from now jump in the car jump on the Eurostar and you know and then I'm in London very shortly afterwards it's really it's really quite swift in 2018 i was working in a theater and the theater had a play called the jungle uh, which is written by joe murphy and joe robertson produced by good chance theater this was about the calais jungle you remember this in the news yep um so it was like a huge encampment and lots of people who were trying to reach the uk uh, would get stuck in calais and it ended up being about ten thousand people and built restaurants and houses and all sorts in this kind of community on, on a bit of wasteland, basically, in Calais. And because the French government basically doesn't provide for people. So uh, that obviously be, that became quite big international news in 2015-16. And then it was closed, uh, bulldozed by the authorities. And that was the last we heard of it in the news. And then this play came to London. And it told the story of the jungle and how it came about and a little bit of the stories of the people who lived there and opened my eyes to the situation and, you know, what exactly it was all about. And then at the end, they play a little clip from Maddie, who is field manager for Help Refugees in Calais, saying there are still 2,000 to 3,000 refugees in around Calais and Dunkirk now, right now. And that was in 2018 and still now in 2020. And they are in a dire situation, far worse than when the jungle was here. There's no accommodation. Um, the government provides so little. And the police violence is unreal towards these people. They are living in apocalyptically bad conditions. Just intense in the winter. I mean, like I'm in a nice, toasty, warm hut this evening. But it is freezing outside. It is close to zero. And there are like kids sleeping in tents you know in the next town it's ridiculous like it's insane that that's happening and it's so close to this to to our you know life of luxury in london basically which and and to not have any idea about this as well was bizarre to me so what are you up to over there at the moment because you're there for about a month right yes so um so i'm working with an association and I want to tell you a little bit more about them, but I'm going to do that in the future because hopefully we're going to have some people from the association uh, on the show and I can do a little interview with them and that can uh, for a little in brief episode and they can tell us about the uh, association exactly. And I want to let them do that rather than me because I think it's important to um, Fair enough. to let people have their message. Today, I just wanted to say that I'm here. That's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be interviewing lots of different people. I want to talk about... Uh, some of the different associations that are here, but I also want to point out a couple of things in culture that have brought me to this point. So the first thing is the play, The Jungle, and I actually have a copy of the play text with me, which I think is still available from the National Theatre's bookshop, and it's just called The Jungle, and it's it's absolutely brilliant. And it's even a brilliant read as a, as a, as a play text, and the, the play was astonishing. It was one of the best-reviewed plays in the West End that I've ever seen come across. It's five stars across the board, and it's gone to New York, San Francisco. It's still going. It's going back to New York very soon, I believe. 
And all the time it's raising money for Help Refugees, the charity. And it raised hundreds of thousands during its run in London, which is unbelievable. And it's going directly to charities here. And it's had a huge impact on raising awareness about the situation here as well. And tons of people um, have come over and volunteered. And I came over and volunteered first time just after that play ended, basically. How many times have you volunteered there now? So I've been here, this is my fourth or fifth time, I think, in the last year and a half. Um, this is the longest time I've been here for. I'm going to be here for four weeks this time. But yeah, I wanted to highlight the the jungle. Uh, I think so. That's how I started as well. And also, I wanted to bring a thought for the episode from the jungle as well. So, if you'll bear with me, this is a line from Safi, who is from Aleppo, and he, in the play, acts as the narrator as well as a key character. It takes pain to live side by side. If you're born in the same country as another person, this is true. If you were born in a different country, a different continent, even more. Some people will tell you living together is easy, but you mustn't trust them. These are difficult things, my friends. This is at the start of the play when he's introducing the story of the jungle. And at the end of the play, there's, there's a return to that line. I don't want to talk about what the situation is, but Safi says, it takes pain to live side by side. It takes even more to live alone. Challenging quotes, but I think it's, I hope that illustrates how powerful the play is. Two other things I would recommend looking at if uh, you're interested for now. There is on Instagram, there's the photographer Abdul Sabour and uh, he is at Abdul underscore Sabour 079 on Instagram. Uh, check out his photography. He's done a lot of photography of um, migration across Europe, which is really fascinating. Um, so obviously it's very important to be very, very careful with how you portray and um, pictures that are taken and things like that uh, in these situations. So that's somebody who's been on the journey and taking the photographs for themselves. So, uh, and I, I would recommend uh, having a look at that for, for a little bit more insight as well. Um, and I also wanted to point out, if you're interested in a book as well, that is, uh, it's, it's amazing how many different things are connected into this. So, with, you know, we talk about theatre and art and all these things. And it, this seems like a like a humanitarian disaster removed from art, but actually, the jungle, for example, where, you know that was a huge part of understanding this, and that's why I think for me why we talk about culture on the show is because it relates to everything in the real world, and it's so it, it teaches us so much that we don't understand, and so I got a huge amount out of the jungle. There's also an author who I'd like to recommend. Uh, who is Anjali Q. Ralph, whose books are written from the perspective of children living in difficult situations, for example, Calais Dunkirk. And uh, there are two books, The Boy at the Back of the Class and The Star Outside My Window. It's all, they're all available pretty much anywhere, you, anywhere you'd normally buy books. They're written to be accessible for all ages, and so The Boy at the Back of the Class won the, the Blue Peter Book Award, amongst uh, other prizes. And her new novel is called The Star Outside My Window. Uh, it was released last year, had amazing reviews. And a portion of the sales are going to support associations in France. If you're, if you're interested, it's just uh, fantastic, fantastic books as well. 
Brilliant. Uh, po- post those links and uh, we'll start looking at them. Absolutely, yeah. Well, thank you for all those. I look forward to uh, reading about them and following the links that you provide. Uh, there anything I was wondering, since this is different from all of your previous trips, how did you end up organized on well, on this this adventure, this, this part of what you're up to? Okay, so this is... Um... It's quite a bizarre little thing that makes me quite happy about the way the world works sometimes. But basically the first time I came, it was incredible seeing the work that people were doing. And it's a really, really tough situation. And the volunteers, particularly long-term volunteers, are often living in pretty basic caravans as well. And they're on the front lines of a humanitarian crisis, which really is madness as well. Like it should be, there should be a much more like government level organization but it's just ordinary people who are doing their best and I could see how hard people were working and how much of a toll it was taking on them so I I put a notice up in the uh, community notice board which is essentially in the toilets <laughs> and uh, it said uh, my name's James this is my number and email I live in London if you're finding it hard in uh, in Calais if it's difficult and you need a break. I can't be here all the time, unfortunately. And what you're doing is absolutely amazing. So, and please look after yourselves. And if you need to look after yourself by having a little break, you can always come and stay with us in in London, um, or just text me and see if it's possible at least. And if we can, we'll try and put you up and just give you two days just to take it easy and uh, just have a bit of time off um, from from dealing with this really challenging situation. So nice. a, bu- a bunch of people have uh, called me over over the last year or so, and it's been amazing, like all sorts of different people and great conversations, and it's been a pleasure having them as well. And um, but However, because my name and number is essentially scrawled in a toilet, that's become I've become a bit of a, a bit known for that, which is not something you ever really want to be. But actually, the people who run Maison Sassam, there's four people... And they uh, found my number and they texted me and they came and stayed at mine, which was wonderful. Actually, for cool. they, they were in London for the book launch of The Star Outside My Window. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so they came to London and they were telling me they had this amazing project offering community events as well as accommodation, all sorts of different things. And it sounded incredible. And then last time I came to volunteer here in November, uh, I dropped in to see them and to see what the project was like. And, and I was overwhelmed and I just thought I have to be a part of this. Uh, so I decided to come here and when I turned up on the first day here I went to the house and I walked in and there was no one no one around that I knew and so I said oh hey I'm James I'm, I'm coming to, to volunteer here and one of them went wait James from the toilet and I was like I suspect that is probably me yeah and they're like oh we've heard so much about you you're known as James from the toilet which <laughs> so uh uh, I keep having to introduce myself to new people as well. Everyone's staying at this house. There's two different buildings. Every time I meet somebody else who I haven't met yet, who's uh, staying at the house. James. Exactly. They're like, oh, it's James from the toilet. Okay, great. Nice to meet you at last. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if I, how I feel about that nickname as such, but at least um, people seem to smile when they see me. So uh, I'll take it. I'll take it for now. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much how I'm here because of uh, scrolling my name and number on a toilet wall make of that what you will <laughs> um, and here I am I'm in a I'm in a tiny little uh, wooden hut that I've actually been working on repairing over the last uh, week or so uh, we're going to use it for art activities yesterday there was a party and there's uh, some exhibitions were in here lots of the 
uh, photographs and magazines and things that have been produced by the organizations here and so there was a whole community party where the community could come along and so they came in here and um, could look at the photos and take some magazines and things and uh, it's also uh, available for accommodation if, if needs be as well it's an amazing amazing little space that i'm in so i'm, I'm sitting in here with this little little uh, private recording booth at the moment uh, which is fantastic um, Will you post some photos of it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'll I'll try and show you a little bit more of uh, of what it's like here. It's uh, it's quite something. It's shaped like a, a lotus flower. This this hut that I'm in. So you have to kind of get in through a, a hatch that's uh, quite lethal in a way. But uh, it's it's a wonderful little space. Nice. And you might, whilst I'm here, you might have been able to hear in the background a bit of fire crackling. So I hope that's soothing your ears. That's the kind of experience i want people to have listening to this podcast yes wonderful <laughs> so what's next so i'm going to try and do some interviews over the next few weeks and release them uh, as best as i can just from people who know far more about the situation than i do and do what we're always doing which is trying to learn about things that we haven't yet figured out and there's i look forward to it tons of incredible people here it's going to be some great interviews. We're going to talk a lot about the situation and, and so many different parts of it and what people are doing to try and help and some of the amazing stories that are here. So hopefully that will be coming your way in the next few weeks and I hope you enjoy that. Yeah, can't wait. I'm just going to tell you a couple of names of different associations that are working here and they have social profiles as well that you can go and look up really easily. Just search their names on Instagram and such like and you'll find them really, really easily. And uh, hopefully I'm going to try and talk to some of these people from different associations over the next few weeks as well and um, get them on the podcast to explain what they do. So, Excellent. for example, there's a Refugee Info Bus. They go out and provide basically basic um, asylum information to people because a lot of people who end up here just, they just don't have any idea of the legal situation. They're just doing their best to stay alive, basically. Um, so there's Refugee Info Bus. Project Play, so they try and work with the kids, just help them to have a kind of something in their upbringing, because uh, they don't go to school, or you know, they're living in tents, so just something for the kids to kind of have a little bit of positivity in life. It's a really worthwhile organisation. Uh, the Woodyard provides firewood because hey, freezing outside and firewood's how I'm staying warm tonight. Uh, RCK Refugee Community Kitchen, these are all on Instagram. You can look them up pretty easily. Uh, RCK um, provides uh, meals every day for everybody in Calais and Dunkirk, which is incredible. It's filling in a gap that the government should not be allowing there to be a gap of, basically. But they are they are doing it, and they are phenomenal. And the work that they do is just, it's all volunteers. It's unreal, the, the work that they do. And then there's Collective Aid, and they hand out uh, tents, sleeping bags, things like that, which are routinely uh, taken away and binned and burned by the authorities and the refugees are told to leave but not given anywhere to go so what do they do they come back just with uh, no tents no sleeping bags and so they have to hand them out again because what else is what else can you do also there's Emmaus in France is a big organization that raises money for lots of different things and they're a little bit involved here and there's also an organization called the Women's Center who particularly take care of the women and children and families around Calais and Dunkirk. Maison Sesame, Sesame House, is the name of the project I'm at as well, uh, which is like an, uh, it's kind of a community and accommodation center. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that in the future. 
uh, yeah, hopefully have some interviews with, with people from the other organisations that can tell you a bit more about the situation in detail. But I think the main thing to know for now is that there are 2,000, 3,000 people, it fluctuates all the time, who are in Calais and Dunkirk. And it's, it's a small fraction of the number of refugees in Europe, but these are people largely who either have relatives in the UK or who speak English, for starters, as well. A friend who is a resident here for 20, 30 years, she said that the refugee situation started pretty much during um, the Bosnian War, and it has been going ever since. And so Crazy. we tend to think of, yeah, exactly, like we tend to think of the jungle as this phenomenon that happened in 2015, but it started way back in the 90s, and there has always been this situation here. But the situation is the most bleak now that it's, that it's ever been, basically. What I want to know is, are you going to cover the reasons for why these people have ended up here and kind of where they've come from and their stories in your interviews? Yes, I'd like to. Hopefully um, some people from the associations can explain a little bit about where people are largely coming from and what the kind of... We don't want to talk people's specific stories, and it's very sensitive, but I would yep. like to talk specifically about why people are largely here. And what I can say at the moment is there's definitely a fair amount of Kurdish people here at the moment. And also I've learned some Kurdish, and I'm going to tell you now. So I'm going to say uh, Churni, which is basically, hello, how are you? And uh, the response, uh, which means I'm fine, is Bashi. Lovely, thank you. Uh, so yeah, a lot of Kurdish people, um, but people from all over the world, lots of different reasons, lots of different stories. The main thing is it's bloody tough just even getting here. And then living here is very difficult as well. The situation is incredibly challenging. Um, um, what's the what's the outcome? What's next? That is a huge problem. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people get stuck in limbo. Um, maybe we'll go into detail about how that happens. A lot of people try and make it to the UK, and there aren't many legal routes to do that. Uh, but there are a lot of illegal ones. The you know trying to stop people doing that. I don't think that forcing people to live in squalid conditions on wasteland in northern France is a deterrent at all. In fact, that's an incentive to try and bloody well get to the UK because it's not pleasant. Hopefully, there are some really lovely stories that maybe we'll, maybe we'll be able to hear. It's difficult to talk about people's individual stories, but there are lovely stories of, of people um, having... Uh, found really positive things here in France as well as well as in the UK and there's a lot of there's a lot of people here who speak French very well there's actually there were some people uh, speaking fluent Bosnian to each other the other day which was quite quite fascinating because they'd been in Bosnia for about a year as well so I mean oh so they weren't Bosnians no no not at all um, okay. and it's uh, even not even from the same country originally as well which is remarkable so quite quite incredible that the amount of languages that people speak as well it's it's not uncommon for people to have sort of three or four languages and the skill sets as well that people have i mean electrical engineers uh artists scientists all sorts of people good i look forward to hearing more about it and expanding on some of the things that you've mentioned and learning from a lot of first-hand accounts of you know what it's like to be there well i look forward to i look forward to sharing more of that with you as well and and sharing some amazing stories and 
some new discoveries as well from a very, very cold and uh, strange, strange part of the world here in northern France. Uh, that's me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Wolf. It's been really lovely chatting to you. And thanks for putting up with listening to lots of lots of me talking. And the goal is to get lots of other people talking on the podcast. I look forward to it. Lovely. Thank you. I look forward to it. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> and then we're just going to have to sort out, our, finalize our plan for the upcoming season, start locking more of that in and continuing on with our research so that we can start recording that and getting that into people's ears too we are going to be working on some new in-depth episodes what what are we kind of talked about we're going to do one we think we're going to go to the united states this year for a little bit of a uh, a wilderness wonder so we might do one about the united states and our impressions of that and what it, else was on our list sure to unlock some uh, interesting avenues so what else is on your list for things you want to do um with the podcast this year not necessarily topics but um what's what's the plan uh, make it better. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I would say that's the number one goal. Uh, and, uh, you know, learn more. Absolutely. We want to keep learning, keep sharing with, with all of you lot. And that's uh, something we love doing and we love hearing from you as well. So uh, do keep in touch. Brilliant. Thank you, James. Thank you for calling me all the way from France and for doing all of this and uh, kicking off the start of a really interesting run of content. My pleasure. Just before we um, finally wrap up, I just wanted to add in that um, our contact sports episode we um, has been pointed out that we missed out a little short idea and a sound. And I do have a little sound for this week as well. In a minute, I am going to create some beautiful French sounds. I'm going to record the sound of the fire popping and crackling and the sound of a baguette breaking and some bread, some brie being spread on the bread. lovely <laughs> even in the petrol stations here it's just ah uh, bread and cheese everywhere love it petrol station brie huh never would have thought about it oh it's high class stuff this i've been chomping on it all evening also they sell sweets here called shiny acid that's always a bit strange <laughs> i thought you were gonna say shiny asses <laughs> might as well might as well be so thank you everyone thank you for listening and remember um you can give us a like, a share, a review. They're all really helpful. Um, and if you have any questions about anything that's going on, you want to know more information, please do contact us. Uh, James has all that information, so he can reply. Um, and uh, we look forward to bringing you something more consistently and more informatively uh, in the future. Smashing, yep. Share your discoveries with us by finding us on Facebook and Instagram at the Great Unknown Pod. You can email us at thegreatunknownpod at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter at Great Unknown Pod. And also, in terms of streaming services, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Blueberry, Pocket Cast, and a brilliant host on Podbean. So if you enjoy the podcast, please, please do subscribe and give us a like and all of that jazz. And you will get each new episode delivered automatically if you subscribe. And that would be absolutely fantastic. We love learning. We love learning with you. 
and sharing whenever we can with you as well. So thank you very much. Although I feel like I just used the word informatively. Actually, no, that is a real word. Ignore me. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I still think it didn't sound right. Anyway, that's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.